Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We're back in studio. Good to be back. Dominion Podcast, episode I was 30-something or other by now. Really? Yeah. Are we yeah. in the 30s? We're in the 30s. I think maybe 34. But uh, right. It's been so long since we've done one that I totally forget how many we've done. But we're back in the upper 40 studio here with uh, Alex Klusterman. Good to be he's here. He's wearing pants and he's got no oxygen, so it's a good That's day. True. That's true. It's a good day. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully I won't need any. <laughs> no, hopefully not. Depends on how worked up you get, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm your beta host, Jeremy Boyd. Happy to be back here. Uh, yeah, we've been uh, been offline for a bit. We did a podcast mashup last week with uh, the on the ground folks for uh, Hill City, and apparently that was well received and encouraged a lot of people. Yeah, we got a lot of good feedback. Encourage you to check that out um, if you haven't. Just kind of, it's probably a good backstory to some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Just um, how Christians face sickness and and the uh, the potential for death and um, kind of the lessons that I've learned personally and my wife and even our elders. And uh, yeah, I'd encourage people to go check that out. Um, one of the things we wanted to think about, and I've been thinking about in light of that, um, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can resonate with this. So when I first got sick um, with COVID, I had a uh, someone someone made a comment to reach out encouragingly um i think to rebecca and said you know don't you don't need to feel bad at all mm. and i remember thinking well yeah of course not i mean but it what what does it say yeah about the state of things in our world that you need to feel a sense of shame or defensiveness over being ill yeah and i had the same experience actually i was actually in a bit of a rut uh, and I realized is because I was worried about all the people that had likely gotten sick from me. Right. Because uh, I had it as well, which uh, we didn't talk about last week. Mine was severely mild in comparison with uh, with Alex's. And so, you know, it wasn't a big deal. But uh, just there was there was an innate sense of, of guilt and shame yeah. that I had, uh, you know, infected someone. And then, uh, you know, about a week into it, I was like, it's it's insidious that we're even thinking like this. Yeah. Just like you said, like yeah. this is just the way of the world. Yeah. You know, I've done nothing wrong. I've yeah. you know, I've been irresponsible or no. anything like that. I was just no. living life. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean um it's we we obviously all take into consideration um the risks that we cause to others. Right. All, all the time. Every and, day. And even in light of this, of the response of um, you and I and everyone, you know, full quarantine and and did everything we could. I mean, my wife too to really help care for people. And mm-hmm. um, so it's not it's not. I'm not speaking of uh, rightly receiving a rebuke for acting irresponsibly. I'm talking about the fact that you know, living a responsible life, you get ill because welcome to planet Earth. And the bare fact of being sick is almost uh, something that people would be suspicious of. Mm. So I, I was thinking about this, and um, you know, we, as I was in the hospital, and more since I've come out, 
Um, it kind of I stopped thinking about it, but then I saw you know someone someone who would you know claim to be a friend. You even messaged me saying, you know, I'm praying for you and stuff, which is total hypocrisy. But publicly put up on social media something very critical of um, our church and other churches with people who had been sick in them. Now this this was based on a lot of misinformation. You know, having since spoken with that person or. A family member has, he was thinking things that weren't true. Like, we shut down our services immediately. It's as if we carried on as normal. Yeah. So it was based on some factual errors. But still, the um, it was the most surprising example of scoffing that I have think I've faced. I've faced criticism. Look, you're, you're a man. Um, you're just a Christian man. You'll face criticism that Jesus promised this, that people will falsely revile you. Um, which is basically a form of scoffing, which we're talking about. And um, being a pastor, especially, you face that. And that's fine. Uh, that's par for the course. It's not fun, but you face it in faith and believe the promises of Scripture that you're blessed when it happens. Yeah. I mean, nobody got scoffed more than Christ himself. Yeah. And the prophets, and you see in the Old Testament, they're getting scoffed all the time. And I think it's it's really the only response of unbelief toward the truth. Yeah, so we thought it would be helpful to think about what is scoffing, and I know for me it was a kind of um, it was a kind of criticism that I I haven't faced a lot of where they where they publicly do it from a distance, seeking to shame you, removed from you know without, a response without getting criticism, the story straight first. establishing moral superiority, right, caricaturing right. of you. Like I just wasn't. I just haven't faced it to that degree. Hmm. and uh, But we need to think about this because, um, one, is the Psalm 1 read, the righteous man doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, which means there's a temptation yeah. in our flesh to either be the scoffer or, as I saw, you know, former member, an elder of the church, you know, liking those comments. It was just sheer evil uh, to sit in the seat with them. You know, to join along with them, to cast our lot with scoffers. So, the New Testament tells us, Second um, Peter three three, knowing the first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So Peter sees fit, and Jesus through Peter to warn the church about scoffers. Uh, Jude does the same thing. You must remember, beloved. Jude 17, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. These people cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So, scoffers are actually a threat, and look what it implies. Scoffers are from within. Yeah. So, as I was processing this personal experience, and then honestly thinking about my brothers in the ministry— and the most shocking part of the last two years has not been the fool, the folly of unbelievers. Right. We would expect that yeah, from unbelievers. It has yeah. been the open reviling and scoffing um, of professing Christians and, and pastors. Hmm. That's what's been bizarre. But so I just spent a day, you know, digging into the word. You know, what does the word what what is going on? How am I to assess this? We need to not think in our, in our according to our passions, in our response, uh, but we need to think according to scripture. So I thought, you know, why don't we 
why don't we just go through some texts and proverbs and point out some characteristics of a scoffer and uh, think think through what's going on here. Um, probably the most helpful part of my study was coming across this verse in Proverbs 14.9. And to me, this makes sense of uh, everything else that the Scripture says about a scoffer. This, to me, gets at, we might say, the heart of a scoffer. What is driving this? Well, the New Testament says they're driven by sinful passions. But what is there, like, what exactly is that? Um, Proverbs 14.9 says, The fool mocks at the guilt offering, um, but the upright enjoy acceptance. So we're looking at uh, the difference between a person who is able to recognize their own fault and the person who isn't. Yeah. Is that Yeah, basically, um, the NIV says, fools mock at making amends for sin. And the scoffer in the Proverbs, uh, there's, a dis- there's, there's distinguishing marks there, but they're all fools. Right. Right. They're, they're all fools. So when we read something about a fool, you know, the same type of thing as characteristic as a scoffer. Um, this proverb gets to the heart of it because what's going on? I mean, the NIV says, um, I just said they mock at making amends for sin. And what I think is happening is that the foolish person who resorts to scoffing um, is threatened by uh, the need for forgiveness, right? Mm. So when you they're threatened by the atonement because that implies a need for forgiveness. It implies that you are not righteous. It implies that you have something, uh, a debt that you owe. Things aren't good with you. And that the atonement is saying, like, this is a way to make it, right? Uh, but a fool only sees it as an indication of their own unrighteousness hmm. rather than an opportunity for the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and an ex- and, and manifestation of the love of God. They don't see that. What they see is, what are you trying to say about me? <laughs> right? Right. And so this is not only true of the atonement, but this is how fools respond to righteousness and truth in general, is that they view things according to themselves. So it's like when you when you do a righteous act, they're not thinking was that good or commendable um or or imitation worthy. They think what does that say about me? Does that make me right. look bad? And I, th- and I think we can all uh we can all identify with that reaction. That's that sinful reaction we all have whenever we're confronted with yeah. certain truths, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a it's a form of self-righteousness is yeah. exactly what it is. And it is a false scoffing is the fool's way of dealing with guilt, right? of alleviating guilt. It is a human impulse to get mm-hmm. around. It's a way of hiding and blaming um, to get around the feeling of guilt. And this is exactly what we read in John that, that we do in our sinfulness. John three nineteen to 20, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works Jesus were evil. Dark. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. So they right. don't see the light and see salvation. They see the light and see condemnation. Like cockroaches. Yeah. <laughs> it's scurry for the darkness. Yeah, because all they think is, <laughs> I want to be judged based on my righteousness. And when you come and reveal that that's all filthy rags, 
Um, I, I have to flee. I can't come near you. And if I can't flee from you, I will destroy you, which is what mm-hmm. the crucifixion was. So how do, we, how do we think about this? Because obviously this is an impulse we all have. So the impulse itself isn't an indication of uh, an unregenerate heart. Well, this is, and this is something Christians always, sorry, that's not true. Often. When Christians bring up this, when you refer to the fool or you refer to people who are clearly unbelievers in Scripture, they're like, well, I'm not an unbeliever. It's like, it almost shocks me that they say that. It's like, okay, you were an unbeliever. And presently right now, the old man remains. Mm-hmm. The flesh is what, this, is what the Bible calls the it. The body of death. The body of death, a variety of categories for the same thing, the old man, and in him nothing good dwells. In fact, we're told what dwells in the flesh, what kind of evil, murder and strife and lust and all these kinds of things. Every kind of evil is in every person, including Christians, in their old man. By the power of the Spirit, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the power of that over us, those sinful desires, has been broken. But its presence remains, and the task of our continued sanctification, our pursuit of Christ-likeness, is to put that to death. But we need to read the whole Bible and read the narrative and see the bad guys and humbly think, that could be me. Be careful you think you stand, lest you fall. Mm. And Paul clearly in Corinthians, regarding sexual immorality, references unbelieving Israel as an example for believing church to warn them. So, Christians are capable of sinning. Christians are capable of every form of unbelief. And it is our duty to know that sin so that we can we can kill it. Mm. We can hunt it. So it's so it's almost like it's almost a sign of self-righteousness that you think you're above and beyond that. And it's a dangerous place to be because it's like, bro, you don't even know yourself. Like, how are you putting to death sin you literally don't think you're capable of? You're right. not putting it to death. Right. And and this is why Jesus talked in the parable, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he talks about um, basically if you even look at a woman, it's lust. Whoever says fool, it's murder. It's like, well, what's he mean? He means it's the same kind of thing. It's not that there's it's the, coming from the same. Root. It's coming from the same root, and it's the same kind of thing. John Owen in his Overcoming Sin and Temptation made a profound point that just stuck with me that every sin wants to go to the end. It wants right. to go as far as it can. It's never satisfied it's not just being satisfied. a little thing in the corner. No, so yeah. the reason you don't say things like, well, it's a little sin, is because that sin of irritation wants to become the sin of murder. And it's the same kind mm. of thing. And the only way it doesn't get there is by the Spirit of God working through the Word of God to sanctify the people of God, as they actively, humbly um, acknowledge, confess, and turn from their sin, Hmm. put it to death. So when we're talking about the fool and the scoffer, I mean, this is something, that's a good point, Jer. We are all capable of this. And part of our last point is how do we respond? You respond in humility and repentance is the first thing. Hmm. You take the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in another before we consider the threat that is the church, it's like, what's the threat from within? That's true of everything. 
Hmm. So um, the heart of a fool and the heart of a scoffer is, uh, is self-righteousness. And uh, they are threatened by righteousness and truth, and they feel guilty, and they seek to alleviate that not through humbly, through repentance and faith, uh, but by running and hiding as Adam did, by discrediting the person um, to dismiss them, this type of thing. And uh, we need to be careful. I mean, I, I recently got a dog, and one of the things you're told is watch for signs of inordinate timidness and fear. Because that timidness and fear, now puppies go through stages where they are, um, but if that stays a pattern in their life, that fear does actually become aggression. Right. And that's what we're talking about, is that we look for the signs of these things because they'll become aggression. If we we constantly live from a sense of self-righteousness, if we avoid instruction, if we avoid repentance, if we just try to build up an image of ourselves, um, eventually something very dangerous will happen. Mm-hmm. And we will grow in our calloused hearts to actually um, not only try to avoid the light and not only to try to not come to it, but to hate it, right. as John says. And that's that's the that's where the scoffer is. So what are a couple other texts. Um, scoffing is arrogant pride. You know, that's consistent. The scoffer, Proverbs 21, 24, is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. And uh, third, scoffers don't like to be challenged, and they intentionally avoid um, reproof and rebuke. They're not people who are characterized by this, by the, and driven by the principle of, I am the greatest threat to my life because of the the sin in my heart. And I need other people to help me. It's an inversion. It's, I am the safest person, most righteous person, wise person. They would never say this. But functionally, that's what we think. And you are a threat to me. Reproof and rebuke is a threat. And in a sense, it is. Because, you know, whoever would seek to save his life uh, will lose it. Whoever loses life for my name's sake... We'll gain it. Like, and you, can't you do con- need to die. You can't be confronted with truth and not act. Yeah. You have to make a decision. Like, there is right. a real threat to ourselves. But the gospel, through the gospel, we see that through the the death of a res- of the you know the crucifixion is a resurrection. Mm-hmm. And whoever lays down his life, even ongoing, whoever says, that is true, I need to put to death the lies that I believed, or... That is righteous. I need to put to death the unrighteousness. That is a death, but there's a life on the other side. And 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 that is what drives us. But for the fool, they're about protecting themselves. And they actually avoid this, um, even unconsciously. Uh, one application of this, too, is that it's interesting that the scoffers avoid rebuke. But scoffing is a verbal thing. Right. So it's not like a private little thing. It's actually like I am... And it's public. Scoffing is public. It's a public seeking to shame and discredit someone through caricatures and lies, etc. 
Notice that the scoffer doesn't like rebuke. So what does that mean when we put this together? It's a public proclamation, but they don't want rebuke. They're going to speak in such a way that you can't really respond. Right. Because <laughs> that's not the, the point. Is this not kind of to... sounds like every interaction on social media. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, this is the stock and trade of Twitter and, yes. and, and stuff. I It's interesting. I had an interaction with a guy on Twitter this week. At least I think it was a human. It could have been a bot, uh, for all I know. It was probably a Russian bot. It's probably an AI scoffer. Uh, bought but uh, you know you're you 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 make a point uh cordially with respect and all this and you get you get a snarky response and and you're like okay i'll respond to that and then after one or two more you're like okay this person's just not interested yeah in actually talking yeah they're interested in scoring a point um you know and and there's this uh like you said there's like a moral superiority where they're claiming the high ground by assuming the worst in their opponent. Yes. Right. Yeah. So by the fact that that verse tells us the scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke, we know from the get-go they're not actually in the conversation to learn. Right. That's not the aim. Again, as the New Testament says, they're driven by their sinful passions. They're trying to establish their superiority over you. And they're not interested. And, and that is threatened by if you being right. So it's just, yeah. it's a lose-lose. That's where you got to check out. Um, they speak from a place of safety uh, rather than accountability. I mean, these are not courageous men. They don't say things to your face. Um, they say things from a place where they are safe. This We see this in the mocking of Jesus. Yeah. Um, but, but David wrote about this in the Psalms, Psalm 64. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. From the throng of evildoers who wet their tongue like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. So it's an ambush, it's done in secret, and it's without fear because there's no reprisal. Right. This is what a this is what a, a scoffer does. They stay at a safe distance where they launch their wounding words and they are safe from all response. It's not a conversation. And I didn't have these texts, but there's other verses about Jesus or about David. David talks a lot about this. Mm. He even talks about when he was um I don't know if you know the reference, but like when he was actually sick or when he was actually being pursued and persecuted, it was then that people came out to mock him. Yeah, I just read that this morning actually when when um uh, his son takes over the throne when Absalom takes okay. the throne, and he's leaving Jerusalem with his entourage, and uh, Shimei is like cursing him uh, as he's going. And, yeah, and they're like, "Hey, should we take this guy's head off? He's cursing the anointed." And David's like, "No, just let him do it. Uh, if it's from God, it's good. If not, God will deal with him." Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, but there's places in the Psalms where he reflects on that. Yeah. It's like in his weakness. Other cowards sought to establish their superiority, you know, to win, to yeah, get him yeah, yeah. while he's down, um, when you couldn't really do anything. Hmm. It's not this, it's not how men act. It's not how people with integrity act, right? We should be accountable for our words. We should say them expecting that if we are wrong, we can be corrected. If we've sinned, we can be rebuked. Um, we should sit under the weight of them, right? Um, there's more. I'm going to read I'm, a couple. I'm more. reminded of uh, speaking of scoffing. I'm reminded of Pilate's response to Jesus. Yeah, when he says, "What is truth?" Yeah, and then doesn't wait for the response. Yeah. 
You know, it's like, oh yeah, what is truth? See you later, bye. Yeah, and oh, you didn't actually want to know the answer. I yes, mean, <laughs> yes, yeah, it was. It was effectively thing. removing himself from the burden of actually dealing with the answer, yeah. dealing with the truth. It's floating into ambiguity, right? That's what a lot of postmodernists. That's what's under postmodernism is a is a refusal to take responsibility. Mm. If there is a truth, a truth, if there's a narrative then that places certain obligations and responsibilities upon us all. Now, there's other motivations for postmodernism that are not so evil and insidious. I recognize that. But yeah, it's a, it's a human proclivity. Um, another thing we see in the Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 6, a, pro, a scoffer can't gain wisdom. A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. Why? Because they don't actually want it. Right. The wise person seeks knowledge and wisdom like gold and silver. Like he goes after as hard as he can, whereas the fool and the scoffer here can't get it. Why? Because they, they, the roadblock is not actually external. Right. It's internal. And it's like you can seek it as hard as you want, but you're never going to find it because you don't actually want to. And once mm. you see it, you won't like it. Um. A scoffer employs lies and caricatures to discredit and dismiss people. So we see this in Second Peter um, when he actually, the verse I already read, talking about scoffers. He says, they will say, Second Peter 3, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. Mm that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water and by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perish. So basically, there's a there's a scoffing criticism, a mockery um, arising from these scoffers and revilers. Um, but it, it, can, it only works if you ignore things yes, that are true. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So if you so, take everything into account, the, the the charge doesn't hold. Yeah, exactly. So the language Peter uses is important is they, they intentionally overlook. Right. And I mean that was my experience and and as I watched my other brothers as well, it's it's like, well, that's just not true. Scoffing, just to be clear, we're not talking about strong disagreement. No. Right? I'm not talking about public disagreement, publicly uh denouncing. That's not scoffing in the Bible. Um, scoffing is seeking to establish your moral superiority or, Im- importantly, establish someone's moral inferiority right. uh, through caricatures and lies and um, remaining hidden and safe, etc. So that's what we're talking about. So there's a, there's a time and a place and you can disagree and strongly disagree and condemn and all of these things. Um, but scoffing is is not interested in the truth, at least not as a highest order thing. It's not interested above all else, uh, but by winning a position. Um, yeah, they're motivated by their sinful desires. And then the last thing, I kind of touched on this, it's like the New Testament implies, and even the people around Jesus, uh, I'm going to actually read that verse. Which one's Matthew that? 27. Oh, right. The chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. 
He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. So they you, lied. Yeah. They lied about him. And and you know what's amazing about this? These people would have would have witnessed miracles. Yeah, they would have witnessed him raising Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, uh, they would have witnessed him talking about his own crucifixion. Yeah, he already told them he was going to be yes. crucified, and he said, uh, "I give up my life on my own." It's not you taking my life from me. I'm giving yes. it up. Yes. Right? So they, this is all the stuff they're ignoring. They're, they're saying, oh, look, he was overpowered. Like, no, no, like, no, no, no. <laughs> I laid my life down be. for the sheep, the good shepherd. Yeah. So they're totally mischaracterizing uh, what Jesus actually claimed to say and, and do, and therefore what's going on now. They're misrepresenting the situation, um, intentionally so. But notice that these people, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, uh, just like Peter and Jude kind of uh, corroborate, are part of the community. Like, these aren't, the, these aren't just the Roman soldiers looking in. That it's, it's, it's easy if you read the Gospels because there's such a conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees and the, and the, the Jewish authorities to... To develop a false narrative whereby they're on different teams, like they're 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 almost like the Romans, but like these are his people. Right. That's what made it so treacherous. It was unfaithfulness to the covenant to their God, and Jesus wept over Jerusalem. You know, do you belong the covenant, the oracles, and um, he said as well. So, and their judgment will be fiercer because of it, because of what they know. So the scoffers, uh often arise from within a community and not from without. And uh, that's why the New Testament says they cause division. They divide people. Um, They're motivated by sinful desires and self-righteousness. So we need to think through, as Christians, how do we respond? And the other thing I want to say, maybe we can talk about this, it's going to get worse. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, the scoffing that the church faces is going to get worse. Um, it's not going to be pu- just public as well, or, or sorry, from unbelie- unbelievers. It'll be from people who profess the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. As the call to righteousness remains, as lines in the sand, this is it, as lines in the sand are drawn, Someone's going to be on the right side and someone's going to be on the wrong side. Yeah. And the temptation is always in all of us to respond when we're on the wrong side by scoffing, by lying about, caricaturing, just trying to win um, against other people by portraying them as inferior to mm-hmm. us. And uh, I know for my own flock, my concern is that our church learns how to recognize a scoffer and a reviler and a mocker and to put this into the category of what Jesus said, blessed are you when you are reviled. Because otherwise you feel like, well, maybe I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and always we consider things with humility. We have to be open to a rebuke, correction. Yep. But you need to be able to tell the difference. That's why the scriptures talk so much about it, between a godly rebuke and a... Evil scoffing. 
Do you think there's a connection too between the scoffing of uh, believers, or professing believers, a connection between that and a desire to please man, a desire to look good in the eyes of the world? Because those well, things often seem to go hand in hand. Yeah, well, Jesus certainly makes a connection between self-righteousness and the love of the praise of man, the Pharisees, right? Mm. Um, the, the desire to justify oneself and to um, do this by discrediting others. I mean, we see this in the prayer, right? Um, the Pharisee and the the uh, publican. Publican, you know, the 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 Pharisee says, "Thank God that I'm not like these men." It's a public prayer, so people can hear. He's establishing his moral superiority over these people, these sinners and tax collectors. Mm. He's actually calling out certain Peter people that he's he's judging his righteousness according to. Um, their unrighteousness. Right. He's judging himself by their standard, not God. And then this guy judges himself by God's standard and realizes that he's a total, absolute failure. And Jesus and, and confesses it as oh. such. Jesus said he's justified. So 100%, if you're living for the praise of man, um, there is a direct connection between that and self-righteousness. Right. Where is your sense of identity and justification coming from? Uh, well, if you fear the Lord, um, then you won't yeah. scoff. And I feel like a lot of people fall back on um, their attempt to win the lost. Yeah, they say we need to, you know, we need to have a good name among the, uh, you know, among the in the world in order to attract people to the gospel. And of course, there's so many problems with that as we saw with the seeker-sensitive movement. But I see it seems like a lot of that is still here today. Well, right, we're as we that. saw with the Jesus movement. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a bigger problem than the yeah. seeker movement. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, blessed are you when you are reviled. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, you will go before the magistrate and bear witness about me. And the fact that, you know, the leader of this entire movement, his ministry um, seemed to end through total abandonment by everyone and rejection by everyone in the world. Uh, and, and, and he rose to victory and even then sent his, his disciples out. Um, well, earlier he said sheep among wolves, but later, you know, he sent his disciples out Almost all of them died, uh, the apostles, because of their witness. I mean, suggesting that we need to, uh, as an absolute statement or a litmus test by whether or not something is righteous, we need to have people like us, uh, just literally flies in the face of like yeah. the whole Bible. Again, we're back to this idea of, well, if they're offended, I must have done something wrong. But this you know. is why thinking through a scoffer is <laughs> yeah. you will, if you are faithful in your life, if you live righteously, you will have people tell you you are evil. Right. You are wicked. You are the opposite. You're a liar. You're going to have people say that about you. And I think a lot of Christians, because they haven't been forced into these decisions and situations, and because we're Canadians, we feel as though for someone to even say something about me is pretty much a sign that it's true. Right. Or I must have done something wrong. Uh, you can't follow Jesus and think that way. Yeah. Um, why we must bear the reproach that He bore. 
He went outside the camp. We have to go outside the camp. So instead, what Christians do, Peter tells us, um, is we follow the example of Jesus, who when he was reviled, do not revile. He did not revile, but he entrusted himself to the one who will vindicate him. And so part of our fear of God and our trust that God judges is a joyful I don't want to say acceptance, but it's like it just rolls off right? because um, we know that God sees and God judges. Uh, If you don't know that, then you feel like you need to correct them. You need to let others know that's not true because there's no other You're taking the bait in a sense. You're saying, oh, if, if only they knew all the information, they wouldn't be scoffing. Yeah. Right, but that's not the case. Yeah, or there's a deep, like you said there's a deeper root to the scoffing. But even for our own response it's saying I don't need to be justified before men. Right. Which is the opposite of what this have a good witness with the world talk is. Um I'm not actually seeking the praise and the pleasure of men. I seek to live well in relation to outsiders. I seek to love my neighbor. I seek to respect my rulers in as, yeah, in as much as it depends on you, live yep. at peace with all people. There's an important disclaimer, as much as it depends on you. It doesn't mean that everyone will like you. Everyone could hate you while you're obeying that verse. Um, so what it frees me from, trusting in the judgment and the vindication of God, is my righteousness is secured. Um, I don't need to go and defend my righteousness uh, to the scoffer or to the people that listened on the basis of I'm not righteous without doing that. It's scoffers who have to do that. That's why they're scoffing because their righteousness is based on other people's opinion of them or their opinion of themselves. If my righteousness is based on the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, my motivation for talking to a scoffer rebuking a fool is entirely different. Um, there's there's texts that talk, you know, because it's a division in the church, I'm going to rebuke a scoffer so that there's no division, right? That might be one motivation. Um, whoever, uh, a scoffer is punished, Proverbs 21, the simple become wise. And so it's good to actually rebuke a scoffer for the sake of other people. We see apologetics function like this in the New Testament too. So how does what does that look like if a scoffer isn't willing to accept anything? What what does actually rebuking them look like practically? What we're doing right now. Right. It looks like teaching people the Bible to know how to identify the nature of scoffing so they put it in the right category and they gain wisdom. If they don't know what a scoffer is or that that even is a thing and say someone was to be scoffed at and their response is to believe what is said about them or to respond in unbelief and disobedience, that would be bad. Uh, But if you know that there's such a thing as scoffing, that you need to consider their words with discernment, according to Scripture, um, then you could have an entirely different trajectory for how you respond to that. But the burden of this podcast and kind of the pastors, like most people don't have those categories. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like we should all get along, and if someone's upset, we must have son- we must have done something wrong. Yeah, that's that's a that's a bad way to that's a bad way to approach things. Yeah, and you end up nobody gets along in the end anyway. Yeah, right? if you try to appease that sort of thing, it's like 
when you neglect to do church discipline because you're trying to keep the peace. Let's yes. say, you're not going to have either. You're not going to have a healthy congregation or peace. Whereas, you know, when when the uh, discipline is done biblically, um, you end up with, well, I mean, you're doing things as God intended. So you're obviously going to have a better result. Yeah. And so maybe there's some upset people that had to leave. Yeah. Uh, but you've protected the sheep. Right? Yeah. Peter has a great, um, there's a great part to that text. Um, he says, when you do good and suffer for you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So there's a category. There's a category for doing good and you still suffer. Yeah. Like, and you suffer for that thing. Yeah. Like you do something righteous and it's that very thing that gets you into trouble. Um, you need that category. And if you just think, oh, I'm in trouble, I must have done something wrong, that then you avoid endurance. You don't endure. And if you don't endure, you're not a Christian. Um, he goes on to say, this is to what we've been called. This is the pattern of lifestyle that Christians are called to. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found on his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Mm-hmm. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you have been straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd of your soul. Mm-hmm. This is where our focus has got to be. Not on the scoffers, not on what they say about us, not on what social media and what the news and what our family, whatever it is, things. It's on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we look to him, we see that this guy did nothing wrong. He's the only one who could ever say that. You can't say that. I can't say that. And he suffered unjustly. And his response was to entrust himself to his father, who judges justly. And that ought to be yeah. the pattern of Christians. Yeah, and that's a sign of trust, right? You you have to trust that God's going to be the one who vindicates this yeah. in the end. Yes, and it may not happen in this life. Yeah, um, but that's what that's what Jesus did, right? He trusted to the Father. Yeah, and by God's Spirit and through His Word and humility, put to death that part of us, that unbelieving part, the old man that that is. Um, sinfully offended by scoffing, that wants to establish our righteousness before people and defend it in the public in a wrong way. Paul defended himself appropriately for the sake of others. Um, put to death our, uh, if we've in, if sat in the seat of scoffers, to repent. And thank God that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was given and slain for sinners and scoffers, as we all once were and apart from his grace would be. And so this is, you know, in the days ahead, uh, the church in, in Canada will face an escalation in scoffing, and yeah. we need to face it faithfully. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, those fault lines are there. Uh, they're just going to become more and more exposed as the ground shifts beneath our feet. Yeah. And so we do well to not ignore them. Yeah. Well, this is a great discussion. Let's uh, let's talk uh, before we leave. Let's talk a little bit about something that you and I are both involved in, uh, the Kortha Classical Christian School. Yeah, this episode is unofficially brought to you by Casey. Totally brought to you by them. They brought it. Look, how do you uh, you know how do we create 
uh, or raise people to not be scoffers, right? We yeah. train them, train them properly, and that's what uh, one of the goals that KCCS has is training up the next generation in wisdom and virtue. That's right, wisdom and virtue using the classical uh, style. Um, and we've got great teachers, a fantastic yeah. uh, principal, uh, Mr. Rylan Auger. So we're, that's something we're both involved in. I don't know. Maybe you can maybe you can talk if people because uh, you know. yeah. I mean, one of the big things that people are thinking about is how do I educate my kid? Because obviously, yeah, uh, the public school system for a variety of reasons is a total gong show. Um, I saw a hilarious meme about how kind of two pictures. One, how people thought of homeschoolers before yeah COVID, and it was like mom and a denim. Get up, and now it's like <laughs> the, the how they think of them denim now. Dress. <laughs> yeah, and now it's like how people think of homeschool moms now. And it was like, it was like uh, Gal Gadot or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And um, that's pretty funny. So people are looking at alternate ways of educating, and uh, we would say the most important thing in education is Christ, and is keeping His Word central and keeping His gospel at the forefront, and praying that the children would receive it by faith and connecting every single one of our activities and endeavors to him, not in a shallow, superficial way, but in a, a rigorous and a comprehensive way. Mm. And uh, we've been sold a bill of goods about what education is that is so, it is shape, it is totally shaped by unbelief and unbelievers. Right. Here, it's here, not, here's the information. You just yeah. need the information. It doesn't take into account the nature of what a human is, the nature right. of how one learns, the goal of education, these types of things. Um, so we need to see a recovery of that, and our, you know, we're kind of humbly trying to give ourselves to that. A lot of people are putting in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and um, yeah, if people want more information, they can check out Kawartha, our website, KawarthaClassicalChristianSchool.com. Or uh, reach out to us. Uh, my email address is jeremy at the dominionpodcast.com. Always happy to hear from listeners and get questions. Uh, we had some good uh, feedback um, last month from, uh, from a listener on uh, submarines and World War II. And uh, <laughs> I mentioned something about the, um, the German U-boats coming into Canadian waters and got some uh, really good historical information nice. from a listener on that. So, uh, yeah, keep it coming. And questions, topics you want to hear, uh, even, you know, even if it's been helpful or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, be always happy uh, if you could share these episodes with friends and family. Love to grow the uh, the reach of the podcast. Like to, and subscribe. Like and subscribe. You know, smash that like <laughs> button. <laughs> Is there a like button on the podcast? I don't know. Have a look. You know, yeah. <laughs> I know how to do stuff. I just, I just, <laughs> I just don't know how to do other stuff. So, <laughs> well, it's been great. Thank you again for joining us on the Dominion Podcast. I'll leave you with this. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. We'll see you next time.